It's time for the Charter Chat Podcast. Please welcome your host, Juliet Lucero. Hey, everyone. This is Juliet Lucero, your host of the Charter Chat Podcast. For episode number two, we have Christine Kuglin from Innovations Academy in San Diego, California. Christine has a very great story about how she started her charter school and actually started out homeschooling her kids. So without further ado, here's my interview with Christine. Welcome, everyone. I am Juliette Lucero, and you are tuned to the Charter Chat podcast that features different charter schools from all over. For this episode, I am excited to have the director of Innovations Academy, located in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California, Christine Kuglin. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Julia. Nice to be here. Great. I'm glad to have you. Why don't we start out with you telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. My name is Christine Kuglin, and I started Innovations Academy in 2008. We opened our doors. Uh, Before that, I was a stay-at-home mom for 14 years, and before that, I taught in public schools since almost since college. So that's been my experience. I have four children. Three of them attended Innovations Academy. One was already in high school when I opened the doors here. And so I've also been a parent of my own school. That's great. And that seems to be the theme at a lot of charter schools, especially when they're first starting out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we get into it for a reason. And I definitely got into making a charter school for my own children. Why did you decide to start a charter school? Um, Well, it started, I was homeschooling. I mean, I could even back up a little bit and say that when I was teaching and I was pregnant with my first child, I intended to stay a teacher. I even asked my principal at the time if I could come back before the six weeks. I obviously had no idea what being a mother would be. And so when I held my son for the first time and I realized I'm not going back to teaching, I started my career as a stay-at-home mom, which I just loved. And when my son, my oldest son, got to be five years old and was ready for school, I he went to school, but things had changed a lot with No Child Left Behind. And what I saw happening in even his kindergarten classroom that did have a vibrant teacher, it was close to our house, the kids were really sweet, was just this intense focus on the wrong things. When you understand child development and understand that children learn through play. Especially at that young age. Especially at young ages. But even adults learn through play. You know, we play with things, we mess around with them, we try new things. And that wasn't really happening in his classroom. The focus was had changed a lot in the years that I had been at home. And I saw a boy who was vibrant and amazing and interested in all kinds of things become focused on just doing what the teacher said, just sitting still, not getting into trouble. He was a typical oldest child who, who was very adult-centered and a good kid. And I saw just him shutting down, like his interest shutting down. And I thought, well, maybe he's just one of those boys that, you know, boys develop later. So maybe he just needs more time at home. But this was when he was in kindergarten. This was when he was in kindergarten. And I I noticed that when in October of his kindergarten year, they had a substitute and they had this ridiculous behavior modification chart where you're on the happy face or the neutral face or the sad face. I could do an entire podcast about the damage done to children through behavior modification, but that's not the topic. <laughs> so um, what my son was a perfectionist and wanted to do the right thing. And the substitute obviously didn't know him and something happened. And he got on the neutral face and he ran away from school and nobody knew. He showed up at the house and I was like, oh, shoot, was today a half day? And I totally spaced out. (laughs) Running away in kindergarten. (laughs) 
And it turned, you know, it just turned out that he was upset about getting on the neutral face that the sub hadn't understand some understood something. And I said, well, you know, that was kind of just my first open the door to doing something different. So I started homeschooling after that. I just realized, no, I want my son to stay a vibrant learner. And maybe he just needs more time. And we started homeschooling. Were you doing that through the local district, the homeschool? Um, I did it completely independently for many years. Um, Eventually, I joined a charter school. That was an independent study charter school. But for the first years, we just kept doing what we do as mothers, which is teaching. You know, all all mothers and fathers are teachers. But as a mother myself, I realized, you know, talking to your child. I, I had taught him to speak and I had taught him you know, to interact with people and, you know, just by being who you are with your children, focusing on their needs, you are a good teacher. And he had done great. He was a great person. He was a great learner. So I figured I had done a pretty good job. I can keep doing this. So I started homeschooling him and it just grew. I joined homeschool groups and networked with a lot of people. The least, the last thing we were doing was being at home. We were out at museums and parks and interacting with people. And it was a really great opportunity for me as a teacher to see how learning could look different. I I think that's a myth that people think that if they're homeschooled, they're just at home all day, every day. And they have no social interaction, which is not true at all. You have a lot of real social interaction when you homeschool. So anyway, I went through that and we, we homeschooled for a long time. And how I started Innovations Academy was my son at middle school started asking to go to school, which is very developmentally appropriate. And I kept telling him, why would you want to go to school? Like you have the best teacher ever. <laughs> but apparently- I think that's the age where especially the boys start wanting to be away from mom a little bit. <laughs> exactly. And so we, you know, we did some things and- I started looking at schools. I was like, okay, he wants to go to school. Let me look and see what schools are. This has been years now. And I was so frustrated. I went to a local charter school and saw that they were doing project-based learning and just a lot of engaging things. But there were so many people at the information session and some of them were crying. I'm not going to get into the school. What am I going to do? They had a wait list. Yeah, they had a long wait list. And I said, where is the law of supply and demand here? There's obviously a ton of demand. And when they got up at the podium and said there were only a certain number of spots. Mm. I actually felt lucky. I was like, oh, great. I get to keep homeschooling. But a lot of people (laughs) around me were, you know, they were distraught. And I thought, well, I could do this. I could make a school. And um, (laughs) little did you know, little did I know if I, if I I knew then what I know now, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what decision I would have made. But anyway, so I, I started on the process of writing a charter and engaging a community and joining me to start a charter school. I sought out a partner who could actually do the work because she didn't have children and wasn't married yet (laughs) and was an amazing educator herself. So, and together we worked and opened IA in 2008. Great. Are you a teacher, student, or parent of a charter school and have a story to tell about your school? Head on over to charterchatpodcast.com to send in your story to be read on the show. So what kind of challenges did you face when you were opening the charter school? Oh, I was so ignorant about what I was doing. I mean, I felt like I knew, I know schools. I knew what to do for the school part of it, how to create academic classrooms. and But there's so much more to it than just like the principle of a district 
public school does a lot different a job than the principal of a charter school or the leader or the starter, the person who's starting a charter school. Well, so we had district, to find a building. Yeah, at the districts, they have the whole district office that handles all of the finance and the business aspects. They where... provide your custodian. They yeah. supply your, <laughs> you know, your supply room and they know about they utilities. facilities. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't have to do any of that when you work in an existing bureaucracy. But when you start something new, you have to think of everything. So there was so much that I just figured out. You know, you just figure it out. You say, okay, we've got to figure out who the electric company, you know, what, how we set up a business thing with them. And you have to figure out nonprofit, what a nonprofit is and how to run a nonprofit. And, and that's just on top of the school stuff. But it's also exciting, just like any other entrepreneur or, you know, anyone who starts something new, you get to decide how things are done. And you can choose to do it in a more effective way, not just the way that it's been done for the last, whatever, 50 right. to 100 years. Which I think is something that, you know, the charter schools really do a good job at. They do things differently. They're not doing it the same way that it's always been done. It's their opportunity to make it better. All the charter school leaders I know are such creative people. And sometimes when we talk, we've come up with similar ideas, but often we haven't. And we can learn from each other, too, um, but also revel in the variety of ways things can be done and education can be done in this case. And I think it's really important that these charter school leaders are collaborating because that might not always happen at a regular district school. I agree. So, you know, many charter schools are unique in their own way. I've been on many charter school campuses and they're doing amazing things in a lot of different ways. So what makes your school different? Um, I would say that when Danielle and I were writing the charter, we were both working in the homeschooling world and we thought homeschooling works. It works for so many people. How could we take what we know about what's working in the homeschooling world and incorporate it into the institution of a five-day program. We actually have several different programs here. We have a two-day program that's very homeschool-oriented, a three-day program, and a five-day program. But for the mainstay of our program is, is a five-day seat-based program. So we looked at what works, and really the connection between a parent and child is what fosters learning for homeschooling children. And so we set out to create connection. How can we connect the communities in our school so that they are like small families in a way? And then the other part was exactly what happens in homeschooling too. When a, when a parent is homeschooling and a child is struggling in any way, the parent knows the child well enough to know how to adjust things. They find the areas that interest the child because then you can learn through those areas and the child will be enthusiastic and engaged and you won't be battling with them every step of the way. And so we thought that would that's a good idea for an institution too. Instead of us coming at the children with, this is what you're learning. How about if we get to know the children, find out their interests and design curriculum around student interests. And so those are the two things that we do. We have a very strong communications and connection program where we connect and get to know each other very deeply. Um, and then we run alongside of that a program program that is academically engaging, where we take the developmental needs of kids into account in the fact that they need to play with material and explore and contribute in the adult world. I always tell people, like, if you would, Toys R Us no longer exists, but if you walked into a Toys R Us, what would you see? And you would see toy kitchens, toy soldiers, toy, you know, dolls, little people that you dress up. Children, their play is reenacting the adult world. 
Mm-hmm. trying to become a part of it. And so we connect with the adult world for students. Like we try to create projects and inquiry explorations that engage children in what do adults that love geology, what do they do? What is in their world? What do they explore? And how can we engage in that in some way? Yeah, I mean, my son's only two and a half years old and he loves cooking. So we're always doing some sort of a cooking project. And even at the daycare he goes to, they have a little cooking class every week where they get to do something that they really enjoy and they're learning from they love it they and they enjoy it and love it because it is built in biologically just like with baby lions or bears their play is about learning to hunt and our our human children's play is about learning to be an adult an adult human and so you cook and he wants to cook we all feed (laughs) ourselves and it's learning you know it's learning well there's so much learning in cooking so it's that's Amazing. Yeah. And I know um, a lot of the programs when you're doing specialized programs at charter schools, whether it's a homeschool or seat based or a combination, can you talk a little bit more about how you personalize some of these learning programs for the students? So for our two day program, we have multi-age classrooms and they're separate from our five day program. So we have a K-1 and a two to four and a fifth through eighth. And the teachers engage a lot with the parents. Since the parents are homeschooling three days a week and two days a week they're in these communities, they engage a lot in explorations together as a team of teachers, a parent and a teacher together, working to discover what this child's needs are, which is very personal to that child. Our three-day program is actually embedded in the five-day program. So there are a certain number of students in the K through second grade that are that only come three days a week. And they come on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the middle of the week. So the teacher designs a schedule so that the things they're missing are things the parent can do with them as well at home. And then once again, the teacher and the parent talk frequently to help focus that child's needs and learning and connect them. And then our five-day program, it's a lot about listening. To personalize, you have to know the person you're personalizing for. And there, every classroom community has its own personality. And so as the students are talking in there, we have morning meetings every day, and there's always a share and an activity. And the teacher's job is a lot to listen and watch and see what are the ideas that excite this group of students, and then help that design the learning in that classroom around this group of students. Because no child is the same, everybody learns a little bit differently. Exactly. I mean, I have four children. I'm telling you, every parent that has more than one child knows children are the exact opposite (laughs) of each other. And if there are four opposites, that's what my four children are. Yeah. And I have one on the way. So I'm really curious to see what this one is going to be like compared to his brother. (laughs) (laughs) It's such the joy of parenting. So I believe you said you have about 400 students uh, yes, we at have. this school. Exactly. And how many of those are homeschool versus here on site? We have 80% of our population is on site. And so 20% is homeschooling. We okay. keep that balance pretty pretty straight. It also allows the children that are in the three-day program, their class size for the five-day program shrinks on two days a week because they get to be with their parent who's taking them places and reading with them and doing great things with them. And then the kids that are in the five-day program have a better ratio for them in class on those two days. So it helps everybody. And I know you had touched on this about your different methods of behavior management and classroom management. Do you have any unique ways that you could share with the rest of the community 
that we're speaking to on how you're doing it at your school. Yes, I cannot wait until parenting and education get behaviorist theory out because that's how we train animals. It shouldn't be how we raise our young the young of our species. So um, we do not use rewards and punishments. There's plenty of research to show that rewards and punishments do not help when we want adults to be intrinsically motivated. Rewards and punishments is a completely extrinsic thing. And the more you take what people do naturally and externalize it, the less they are able to, to keep it internal. So for example, children in school, children love to learn. The only reason why we use rewards and punishments is because we don't actually believe that, or there's something about what we're doing that we think they're going to resist or not do. And so we have to use the carrot and stick approach, supposedly, as people see it, to, to get them to do what we know they do naturally. Human beings learn. That's what we do. It's one of the things we do. Nobody has to teach us that. And so um, what we have to put in place, because schools are places where behavior modification has existed since the beginning of the system. Um, and, things such and as one disruptive kid could mess up the whole dynamics of the classroom. <laughs> exactly. One of our mantras here is connection before correction, which comes um, from actually Positive Discipline by Jane Nelson, which is the program we have we utilize in our school to help children learn. And in the case of behavior, it's learning skills to relate to each other. So if you have a child who misbehaves, which I would define as doing something that conflicts with the community's needs, if you punish them because of doing that, then you've done two things. One, you haven't, you've missed an opportunity to teach them a skill that they're missing because they're misbehaving for a reason. Something right. is going on there. So you've lost an opportunity to actually teach something. You've just tried to scare or frighten a child into doing the right thing. If they can figure out what that is, you know, from your approach to their misbehavior. Especially the when one, they're so young, kindergarten, first grade. Yes. And the other one is Human beings learn through mistakes. Everybody knows that. Any entrepreneur or somebody who's raised a business will know that the best learning comes by mis making mistakes. By doing. So when children misbehave, those are mistakes. And mistakes are opportunities to learn. But if you punish a child when they make a mistake, you've now missed another opportunity to teach them that mistakes are good things to learn from, not to hide. If you hi and, and one of the most difficult things in a school setting is that when children are in groups and they're hiding what they don't know, it's hard for a teacher teacher to teach them new things because they're really right. good at hiding it. Whereas, but we've taught them that by punishing them for making mistakes. Yeah. We've so they just, them to they're hide not going to try to do it again. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, that's part of our social emotional program. And we have structures in place. So we have a morning meeting every day. It's based on the responsive classrooms, morning meeting approach. We do class councils, which are problem solving opportunities where the class sits together and they solve classroom problems. Um, whatever comes up, they have an agenda. The students can put things on the agenda. <laughs> and they address them through a, a set structure. So it's like they're collaborating already at such a young age. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. Important if you're a human. Because <laughs> um, that's what we do. We're a social species. And and the other thing we do is just addressing behavior problems. Children have a fight on the playground or something like, or in the classroom, that we address them with each other to solve whatever happened, to, to look back, to see what you could do differently, to, to understand how it impacted somebody else, and to repair any damage that was done in that altercation. So all of that learning is only going to create a human being who can grow up and interact in a business environment or in a family constructively and know how to address other human beings with the issues that are arising. 
It is definitely challenging as a task. It would probably be a lot easier for us to just <laughs> give them points and send them to the principal's office. Or... <laughs> yeah. But what what we do here is really try and teach them the skills so that they're not just learning academics, but they're also learning how to be a productive human being and get their needs met. Yeah, because a lot of times they may be very smart children. They may be doing well in their academics, but the social part is the part that they might be struggling with. Behavior issues. They don't know how to resolve conflict. Yeah, and many kids nowadays are in such structured lives. They're not playing in the streets anymore. Like if no. you, when you're playing in the streets... It was a little more Lord of the Flies, but you did learn social dynamics. You learned how to give a little and how to get what you needed through interactions from when you were young and older kids were guiding the, the game or the play that was happening. And then you grew into it. And then you at one point were an older kid and there were younger kids. And there's just a, a hierarchy and, and a lot of learning that has now been wiped out of most of our children's lives because they do play they do structured baseball or structured girl scouts or structured violin or structured gymnastics or they're in their house playing on video games or you know stuff like that and if you're an only child heaven help you because at least siblings have each other to learn from so in in order to really try and help children continue to grow socially when we have taken away their opportunities out in the real world to do so, we we feel like it's important to have that here. And we need to have that also for our academic piece, which is a lot of project development and kids working in groups. Kids don't naturally work well in groups. Adults don't naturally work well in groups. Um, but we are a social species, so we need to really look at that. And when kids, um, you know, are expected to work in a group, we better be teaching them the social skills in order to do so effectively. Yeah. All right. Do you have any recent accomplishments that you guys want to share from your school? I mean, I think our biggest accomplishments are every single day, you know, because we see children who came to us traumatized either by another school experience. They have anxiety or and bullying. yeah, or bullying has happened to them or they weren't taught the social skills and they weren't having some success. And they come here and they're frightened. I mean, it has gone so far as we had a child who couldn't even go into a classroom to start. They had to just hover outside and watch. We had to slowly acclimate them to a classroom because they had been traumatized elsewhere. Um, so those successes, watching a child go from somebody who can't interact or doesn't know how to read and um, and is afraid of learning to somebody who is productive and engaged, running around on campus, smiling and excited. Mm -hmm. Those are probably the biggest accomplishments. And one of the reasons why we've stayed a small, self-contained, you know, charter school all by itself is that, is I feel like that's why I got into this, to make a difference for individual children and families. And that's what we spend our days doing. Um, on the other side, I don't know, let's see, I think We've created an environment here for where teachers also are healing from past school experiences and where teachers are able to express themselves. They're, they have a lot of freedom and there's a lot, there are a lot of shared decision-making going on. Um, so together we're just a powerful community moving forward. Um, 
I think that's one of the reasons teachers like to work at charters is to have more freedom or to do things a little differently, have more control over what they're teaching in their classroom or how they're teaching it. They're professionals. I mean, they became, they entered a career and made a career choice so that they could have a say in what they were doing so they can make a difference for children. If they're put into a situation where their hands and feet are tied and asked to do what they passionately chose to do, then they become unhappy like all human beings do if they're, if they're, if they don't have enough say in their lives. And so teachers given say and a conversation, a mutual conversation around a philosophy that's established, which is what charter schools have. And we have, um, allows them to choose like, okay, I do want to work at a school where there isn't textbook curriculum. You know, if they really want to work with a textbook curriculum, they can come here and interview and then say, ah, no, I'm not into that. You know, I'm going to go work somewhere where there's a textbook curriculum. So teachers get to have those choices too. And that's a good thing. We also free everybody from homework, which is one of our earlier conversations. Um, so we have a no homework. No, we call it a no meaningless homework policy. Um, because actually most homework is meaningless in kindergarten through eighth grade. And research has shown it has no impact on a child's academic success over the course of their life. To have homework, for some unknown yet to me reason, we still latch on to homework as parents and as schools as a necessity for academic success, which is not true. I know. I never liked homework growing up. I always tried to get my homework done before I even got home. Yes. Homework <laughs> teaches kids the strategies of how to get away with doing very little, as little as possible, which is what we don't want them to learn. And how not to have free time and how not to explore your interests. Yeah. That's, that's what homework That should teaches. be family time at home once you've been away from your family all day at school. Well, yes. Work. Families also do lots of academic things. They play board games together. They read together. They watch TV programs and talk about them. I mean, all of those things contribute to a child's well-being, connection with their family, and academic success. So I, what we do here is we do tell parents that. We want them to find what their family's passion is. If their family is fanatical about, fanatical about the beach, then we want to give them the time to go walk on the beach and find the shells and be together in a peaceful way not be hustling and fighting about homework because your parents are, you know, your family is the most important unit for you. Schools will come and go, but your family will be there forever. And if you've had to fight with them for the 13 years of education, then something's wrong in, in the society supporting families to be healthy I know you hear about these schools that still give hours and hours of homework and yes, in first and second and third grade. Oh my gosh. I think it's, it's ridiculous. And if you look at the homework they're doing, it's not meaningful because a teacher is making hopefully meaningful and engaging lessons for the day. What time do you think the teacher is going to be putting into an assignment that's going home and that is out of their control? And when homework goes home, a child who can do it already, shouldn't be doing it. They already know how to do that. Do you want to help us get the word out? Help us get the show in the ears of more listeners. You can do that by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a comment. Now back to the show.
A child who is really, really struggling might not be able to do it and will be probably fighting with their parents like, that's not what the teacher wanted us to do. And the child in the middle can get through it and do practice only if it's meaningful. And you talked about personalized earlier, right? If it's a personalized approach and homework is a one size fits all approach. It's like everybody gets the same packet, (laughs) you know, here you go, whether you need it or not, whether you need math practice or not, whether you need this practice on these nouns or whatever it is, you get it because everybody gets the same packet. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before we wrap up? Um, No, I think that's great. I really appreciate you coming out and looking at individual charters and seeing what we're up to. Yeah, it's really great. You have a beautiful campus, but I understand you're moving to a new location. We are. We'll be moving to Kearney Mesa in some time in the next school year. And so uh, we're looking forward to a building that we designed ourselves to meet the needs of our students as best we can. And um, that's always exciting. You know, it's exciting to have something new. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Christine, so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. And where can our audience find out more about your school, Innovations Academy? Do you have a website? We do. It's www.innovationsacademy.org. And you'll find us there. There's lots of information on our website about our school. So, um, yeah, spread the word about charters. We're good choices for people. You know, choices is important to have. Great. Well, thank you again. And to our audience, just remember to put kids first. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for listening to the Charter Chat Podcast. Be sure to visit charterchatpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Just remember to put kids first. See you next time.